so how many of our patients are discouraged? A large majority of you raise your hands. How many of them might have a sore, sick heart? How many of us are going through probably very similar experiences to our patients, right? So one of the things that I want to bring out here is sympathy and tact will prove, will often prove a greater benefit to the sick than will the most skillful treatment given in a cold, indifferent way. Think about the import of this. The best medicine, so to speak, is sympathy and tact. How we approach our patients, how we interact with our patients. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I find it difficult to know how to minister to some of my patients. Some of them are really rude. Some of them are not so pleasant. It's, it's a reality. And sometimes those people are really hard to connect with. <laughs> then there are the really nice ones, right? The patients who come in and you make a connection immediately. Maybe you have something in common. But I would pose that those patients that are rude and the most challenging are the patients who are ready to hear the gospel the most. And I want to give you guys some very practical skills. We're going to get into some nuts and bolts today, okay? Literally, very basic ABC skills of how to do these with patients, how to have this experience with patients. This is a quote. Um, I have spent some, I, I, should, I should now probably tell you a little bit more about what I do as a physical therapist. I actually have spent a lot of time dealing with chronic pain. Chronic pain is kind of my area of specialty, if you will. And so dealing with patients with pain, I end up dealing with patients who tend to be a little bit more, um, unfortunately, they have a shorter fuse. They tend to be a little more rude. If Some of you in this room actually probably have chronic pain. And it probably interferes with your life to some degree. So I'm coming at it from the standpoint of these types of patients. But I think all of you, whether you deal with chronic pain patients or not, or patients with chronic conditions, you'll be able to pick up some of these skills and things that we can do. So this is an interesting quote. This is taken from a secular article based on clinicians who have really good outcomes with their patients. The clinicians who tend to have really good outcomes with their patients are ones who actually demonstrate care. And this is exactly what I believe Ellen White wrote many, many years ago in Ministry of Healing. It's being proven today even in the secular literature, if you will. Apparently, patients are less concerned with how much their physicians know than with how much they care. So my question to you is, are you being intentional with all of your patients, or are we being intentional with all of our patients to find the areas where we can demonstrate sympathy to them, where we can actually have this experience with them? And this is what we're gonna go through now. I wanna give you guys some practical ways to become intentional. How many of you here were here for Katie's presentation just before this? Okay. Some of this might have some overlap. I, I walked in, I was like, oh, I think your content is a little bit similar. But I'm going to come at it from a very practical way, so I hope you guys find this practical. We're going to discuss four guiding principles to patient interaction and interviewing. We're going to highlight three different in interview styles used in medical interviewing. And then lastly, I'm going to provide some basic skills that you guys can walk away with and apply immediately. And along the way, we'll, I'll, I'll hopefully demonstrate how I use these skills every day to have opportunities to pray with my patients, to provide an encouraging thought to my patients, or even, even sharing literature with my patients. So let's go over the first one. There is a rule that I believe is really helpful to follow when we're interacting with our patients. So here's the rule. R, 
Resist the writing reflex. We're going to go through these in detail in just a moment. You understand and explore your patient's thoughts and motivations. L, listen with empathy. This is the hardest one. We'll talk about this more later. And E, empower the patient. And if you're wondering what I mean by empower the patient, I'll explain more later. So let's start with R. Resist the writing reflex. How many of you have had a medical appointment? Maybe you haven't, hopefully. <laughs> How many of you have ever sought counsel from a friend? Right? When you're looking for, for some advice or you're looking for help, have you guys ever had that experience when somebody, you, you try to explain your situation to someone and they immediately give you the solution to your problem, but they didn't listen to you at all? Have you guys ever had that? I don't know if you're like me, but whenever that happens, I'm like, okay, yeah, uh, you clearly don't get it. So the writing reflex is, oftentimes when our patients walk in the door, the first thing we hear is all the things that they're doing wrong. And we immediately want to correct it by telling them, well, you should just do this, and you should just do this, and you should just do this. Problem solved, walk out. Believe it or not, some of you may not do this intentionally, which is good, but believe it or not, it happens more often than we think. So the writing reflex, in essence, is resisting the writing reflex, I should say, is allowing the patients to actually take their, the good lines. And this in, re requires us to invest more in the beginning. So some of the things that you want your patient to say, at least in my area of, of in my field, is I should do my exercises to relieve my pain. Or, I should eat better so that I can lose weight. I should brush my teeth, if there's dentists in here, so that I don't develop cavities. These are things that we often tell our patients immediately. You should do this, you should do this, you should, you should do this. But I would encourage us to avoid offering instruction and counsel before understanding the whole story. Oftentimes, this can separate a genuine connection with the patient if you immediately offer the solution without understanding the full perspective of what's going on. Let the patient take the good lines. Okay, so invest in the beginning. Avoid this immediate solution to the problem. Now, some of you might be saying, but sometimes there is a need for an immediate solution, and that's true, and I'll tell you when that is. But as a general rule, resist this writing reflex. Imagine if Christ just walked up to people and said, you should just do this, you should just do, you should just do this, and you should just do this instead of understanding their experience. Remember, tact. Tact is so important. We want to allow ourselves to have the experience of understanding the patient's story so that we can get down to their deepest needs. So resist the writing reflex. This is an interesting statistic as well. A large number of studies adhere, um, of adherence to, I'm sorry, a large number of studies of adherence to medical recommendations have shown that 40% to 80% of patients who receive recommendations don't follow them. And I would beg to say that it's not because we have the wrong information. I would actually beg to say it's because the way it was delivered, it wasn't delivered in a meaningful way to the patient. But yet we think we did the right thing sometimes by initially giving them the right information. You. I think a lot of us actually do this naturally, understand patients' um, mo uh, motivations and thoughts. But again, we're all about trying to be more intentional now. 
So how many of you ask your, how many of you ask your patients, what were you hoping I could help you most with today? Or how has this problem affected your work? Or what do you turn, turn to in times like these? I want you guys to understand the, the meaning of these questions. These questions are allowing you to understand more about what they are thinking, about what they are feeling. So as a principle, we want to know what is going on in their minds. The quote I had in the beginning of this presentation was taken from Testimonies to the Church, and it says, to deal with minds is the greatest work in which men ever engaged. We are to study the minds of people. We want to understand the minds of people because in their minds are the areas that we can connect, be empathetic and sympathetic. So understand your patient's values, their concerns, and their motivations. L, listen with empathy. Listening with empathy is very difficult. This might sound like this. I understand how this problem is making you feel like an invalid. These are statements you might hear the clinicians say if they're actually listening. Or they might say things like, I can see how this pain is more annoying than disabling to your life. That's a statement of understanding. They're listening. You must be scared about your future problem or your future with this problem. These are all empathetic types of statements. Put yourself in the shoes of your patient. Try to understand what they're going through. Simply listening to information is a lot different than actually trying to make meaning of it yourself. Try and make meaning of what the patient is saying. I knew that walking was going to get, get me in trouble. I won't knock over the table. So make interpretations and meaning about what they're thinking, about their cognition, and about their emotions. And lastly, empower the patient. So what do I mean, what do I mean by empower? Empower means give them the opportunity to take part of the decision-making process that goes into their care, right? So you might have questions like this. Where do you think we should go from here? Or given what you understand so far, what do you think would be best for your health? These are very powerful questions because it requires the individual to engage their mind. And lastly, how can you become better at remembering to brush your teeth? I put these in here because I thought there would be dentists in the room as well. So, just, yeah. <laughs> so these types of questions are very important because remember, the patient is ultimately in charge of their condition, but also allow the patient a chance to choose what is right for them. I believe we see this so much in the gospel narrative. Christ is asking people to take a step toward the healing process. He's offering it but he usually asks questions. Do you want to be made well? Right? These, these are opportunities to accept something. These can happen in small ways with our patients. So remember, tact and skill in how we interact with our patients is key. Okay, so that's the rule. Resist the writing reflex. Understand patients' values and motivations. L, listen with empathy and E, empower the patient. We'll come back to those, and you'll see how these start to play out and how we interact with our patients. Three styles of an interviewer. All of you have a style to the way that you interview patients. How many of you guys do subjective interviews with your patients? Oh. No, just a few? Okay, so I'm, I'm assuming most of us do a subjective interview with our patients. 
There are three different styles that can happen. And usually it'll demonstrate your attitude in that interaction. You can either be the follower, you can be the guide, or you can be the director. The follower. So what does a follower do? The follower has no agenda but to understand. Remember, we want to know when to use these at the right time. Okay, so we're going to talk about that in just a minute. So let's just identify what these are. The follower has no agenda but to understand. A follower makes statements like this. Uh-huh. Tell me more. They might say things like, I see. I understand. Or, mm-hmm. This sounds silly, you guys. I know, I know. I, know. I, I, I always find it funny when I present this. It sounds so silly, but understand the importance of a follower. I'm going to get into this in more detail. One of, one of the skills is our ability to follow our patients, to actually understand what they're saying. So usually you'll, see, you'll hear someone following your, their patients, and you'll hear things like this. We naturally do this in conversation. Oh, hmm, interesting. Versus... What'd you say? Maybe we're behind our computers, right? When we're talking to patients. So a follower is engaged. There's also the guide. The guide helps the patient help themselves. So a guide will, might be asking questions during the interview, like, so why do you think you're getting worse? This is the you principle, right? Understand what their thoughts are. Why do you think you're getting worse? Or, what do, you th what do you think would be helpful right now? Or, what do you believe you caused this problem? Right? So these are all ways to help bring awareness. And lastly, the, the director. The director knows how to fix the problem. So director statements are, you need to do this. So you need to exercise 30 minutes a day. Or, you need to have surgery now. <laughs> or, you need to stop that exercise for now. It was funny, my, my dad called me Thursday night. My dad's sitting over here. And um, he was calling for medical advice because he fell on his mountain bike. And um, he, uh, well, I was about to tell you what happened, but there he's raising his arm. So he called me and he said, hey, um, I want to know uh, or he said, I, I fell on my mountain bike and I hurt my hand. Can, you, can I come over and look at it? And I, I said, I can't right now, but send me a picture. Sends me a picture. His, the lateral side of his hand is just completely swollen, like really bad, like a, like a golf ball. And immediately I was like, I think he fractured his fifth metacarpal. And so I immediately told him, you need to go to the urgent care and get an x-ray, <laughs> right? It wouldn't make sense if I was any other style at that time. So I'm just trying to give you guys an example of what the style is, right? I was the director. I said, you need to go do this. So why am I telling you guys these things about styles? Patients need different styles at different times. If you want to engage with your patient and be able to connect with their story and what they're trying to tell you and what the deeper areas of their emotions and their cognitions are behind the problem, you have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to change gears at the right time. So let's look at when to do these things. So when do you follow? At the beginning of an interview process, right? Ask them, tell me what I can do for you today. And then follow them. <laughs> Allow them to explain. Don't just start rapid-firing questions. Seek to understand what they're trying to tell you. So be a follower in the beginning. Secondly, 
when a patient is angry, anxious, distressed, or emotional. This is a good time to follow. If a patient is crying in front of you, I had actually this happened to me, I, I didn't follow the principle. I was having a patient crying, explaining her problem. And I immediately was like, she needs tissues. And so instead of following her listening, I said, I need to get you a tissue. And I got up and I left. I got up and I left the treatment room. And then I came back with the tissues. I, I, I fixed the problem, right? Wrong time to be a director, to think I know what I'm supposed to do to fix the problem. I should have been following. Because guys, seeking out emotional distress is the moments where the gospel can be delivered and where you can provide hope. We need to be looking and trying to find what is it that they are going through. So using these styles will help us do that. So when do you guide? Well, when you're trying to raise awareness to your patient, you know what the problem is. Your patient doesn't seem to know what the problem is. Remember, we want them to be the ones who become aware of their problem. Just like we want people in this world to become aware of their need for Christ, we want people to become aware of their need of their problems. So, guide. Remember, ask a guiding question when you're trying to help them understand. Remember, guiding questions would be like, so what do you think is the cause of this? What do you think is the problem? And listen to what they say. Additionally, when you're trying to empower, remember, when you are asking them, inviting them into the process of decision-making. So guides will tend to empower or raise awareness for the problem. And when do you direct? Well, like I said earlier, when you urgently need to fix the problem, right? There is no writing reflex when somebody needs the problem fixed right away. So at the right time, deliver the right treatment, right? So with my dad, there wasn't any point to guide him. Do you think your hand's okay? Right? No, the hand's clearly not okay. He needs to go get it looked at. So just a practical example there. So when you urgently need to fix, or when the patient has no sense of direction, you might ask the patient, what do you think you need right now? They're like, I have no idea. Be a director. Start telling them what they need to be doing. Okay. So remember, these three interview styles are all important to be able to match what our patients need at the right time. I'm going to zoom out again. Let's go back to our quote. Remember I told you we're going to get into the nuts and bolts today. We're talking about tact. What our patients need us to be at the right time. So see if you can utilize these interview principles to help you do that. Okay. I do want to make this somewhat interactive in the sense of, I want to know, any questions so far? Any thoughts? No? Okay. So here's really where it gets really into the nitty gritty. And again, this might feel like we're putting on training wheels a little bit, but I think it's also in the most basic skills where the most genuine interactions can happen. And I think we must all be good at these skills. If we are going to be medical evangelists, we cannot, we can, we have to have these skills. I was going to say we cannot not have these skills. We have to have these skills. We have to be able to interview our patients. So I'm going to give you guys three skills, three skills to help connect. We're going to go through inquiry skills, listening skills, and then informing skills. Okay. Inquiry skills, super basic. You guys know these. But I want you guys to understand them, when to do them and how to do them at the right time. 
So open-ended inquiries versus closed-ended inquiries versus commands. We, we're not even going to go through commands. Commands are just do this, do that. That's how simple this is. We're just defining what we're doing. Open-ended inquiries. Why would you want to use an open-ended question? Yeah, exactly, right? So uh, when they just say yes or no, have you ever had a patient say, oh, are you, you want me to help you today? Yes. Oh, are you, are you having pain? Yes. Oh, um, where does it hurt? Here, right? Or um, are you having any of this? No. Are you having any of that? No. You are getting perhaps diagnostic information, but you are not understanding anything about that person and what they might be going through at that time. So this would be a good time to use an open-ended question. Open-ended questions are rapport building time. They're also used to understand your patient's perception and experience. This is why you use an open-ended question. So remember, open-ended question would be like, tell me what concerns you most about this problem. I cannot tell you how many times I have used this question and patients tell me no one's really ever asked me that question. What, what concerns you most about this problem? And I'm listening. I'm not listening for the diagnosis necessarily. I'm not listening for whatever ever clinical information I need. I am listening for that, right? We do need to give treatment. We do need to help them. But I'm listening for what their biggest concern is because in their biggest concern, that's where I hope I can provide help and hope for them spiritually as well, in their biggest concern. So I ask open-ended questions because I want to know more about them. How does this problem affect your daily life? These are very, very powerful questions. And lastly, closed-ended questions. The reality is it's important to have closed-ended questions. I don't know if you guys have patients who um, you probably want them to stop talking, <laughs> right? Because you actually have to help them. Some patients want to just talk. And it's important to let them talk, yes, to understand, but there's also things you need to get done. So having closed-ended questions in your back pocket is also very important for patient connection and having tact. Get the information that you need. Sometimes our patients are trying to be too helpful, just way too helpful, right? So we want to say, no, can we focus in here? So closed-ended close questions, if you have limited time, start using some closed-ended questions. Get down to the, to the meat of how you're going to help them. Or you might want to hone in and focus on a relevant area. I do this all the time where a patient might be explaining something and I'll say, hold on, hold on, hold on. You mentioned the trouble that you're having with your, with your sister. What, what do you mean? So, or I, I would say, I would say an, an, another closed-ended question where I would say, tell me more about, well, actually that would be open-ended question. I would say, you mentioned about your sister, correct? Yes. Then I would go into an open-ended question. Tell me more about that. That sounds, that sounds like it's been difficult for you. So closed-ended questions, again, do you feel your symptoms right now? Have you been doing your exercises? So in my, in my realm, this is what I ask a lot. So for closed-ended questions, remember, you're trying to hone in, get relevant information. Okay. So we're moving on to the second type of interview skill. And um, if you guys haven't been grasping or listening at this point, I know you have been, but if you haven't, do it now. Because these are the skills that allow me to have the most spiritual interactions with my patients. And these are the skills that I believe are the most powerful when we are interviewing our patients to demonstrate sympathy and empathy for our patients. Okay? It's listening. 
We are in a state of our world, I don't have to tell you, where listening is not really happening that much. We're talking a lot, and we're not listening. I'm not trying to take this into another realm. I'm, I'm just trying to help you guys understand the importance of listening. Our patients need us to listen to them. And oftentimes we're trying to find ways to help them, but we're not listening. So three skills to help us listen. Practice these. You might even do these naturally, but do them intentionally. Be aware that you're doing them. Focus and follow. Reflecting content and reflecting feelings. How many of you guys are familiar with the skill of reflection? Okay, good. Let's begin with focusing and following. So focusing and following is the ability to be engaged and connected. So for example, eye contact, okay. Facial expressions, yes, behind the masks too. Facial expressions. Patients still tell when you're smiling and when you're not. And posturing. Let me give you a real demonstration of this. And I hope you guys can understand the significance of this. So Adrian, tell me how I can help you today. You don't have to answer. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Oh. Oh, really? Okay, tell me more. Does that seem silly? No? Okay, good. Because imagine what happens, and I see this a lot, right? This is not how we want to engage with our patients. So, um, do you have a history of that? Okay. Uh-huh. Yep. And the patient might have just said something that was of distress to them. Who knows what you just missed? Now, I'm not saying I understand we all have time constraints and we all need to document. But understand the, the, the import of eye contact, posturing, facial expressions. I did these with Adrian just now. This is very interesting. I, when I train clinicians on how to do these skills, they often say, well, I need, to, I need to have more time to do these kinds of things. Sometimes this takes a lot of time. The interesting thing is, is that when you're not listening, you actually take more time to do your interviews. If you just listened, you would get through your interviews so much faster. Because the reality is, if you're not listening, you're not sure what to ask next. But if you are listening, you are following a narrative and a story. That person is coming to you for help. Follow what they're saying. Listen to it. Try to understand what they're saying. So questions can be a roadblock. When you just start asking questions and rapid-firing questions, you can actually roadblock the patient from having expressed to you some of their deep needs. Remember, we're here to minister to people's needs. So focusing and following, engaged, engaged and connected. Reflecting content. So the skill of reflection, some of you said you're familiar with. How many of you would say you're good at reflecting? How many, is there anyone who doesn't know what I mean when I say reflecting? Right, okay. So reflecting is the same thing as active listening. So I'll give you some examples of reflection. A patient tells me something. Let's say a patient expresses their, their problem that they're having. 
I might say, okay, I understand. So you're finding that your problem is actually limiting you from being able to do your job. So why do I say statements like that? To confirm the patient's message is understood. Because a misunderstood patient cannot be helped. If you are not understanding them and becoming to know them, they cannot be helped. So confirm the patient's message is understood. This is how you begin developing rapport with your patients, by reflection. So reflecting content. I'm going to go on to the next one. Because this is, this is really where the rubber meets the road in terms of reflection. So reflection plus predictive I, I had on the other slide. Reflecting content with interpretation. This means you're making meaning of what they're saying. So statements of reflection with interpretation might, you might be making an assumption. But you're making an assumption so that, that you can either see if you're correct. And this is very, very powerful for patients. You might say things like, or for example, I'm going to use the middle example. I ask a patient when they come back, remember physical therapy, I gave them exercises to do. How many of you, how many of you have done physical therapy? Yes, yes, okay, good. Were you guys faithful with your exercises? Yeah, yes, all right, very good, very good. I don't always get that response, right? So a patient might come back and they'll say, oh yeah, you know, I, I kind of did them. So in my mind, I'm wondering, oh, why did they kind of do them, right? So reflecting with interpretation, I'm trying to understand what they're trying to tell me. I might say, I might assume that you're not doing them fully uh, because they are probably not helpful. And this gives a chance for the patient to, one, for me to connect and actually state that th these were not helpful. But it also gives a chance for the patient to then correct me and give me their experience. I want to know what they're going through or what they are experiencing. So reflecting content, right? And try to predict what they're trying to tell you. So reflecting content with interpretation. And lastly, this is the, this is the big one. How many of you are comfortable engaging em in emotional conversations with your patients? And you can use that rhetorically, good. I, I hope that we all are. The reality is not all of us are. Sometimes it's, it's hard to engage emo into emotional conversations with our patients. When they express anger or sadness or whatever other emotion they might be expressing, sometimes it's hard to engage with that. Maybe we don't like anger. Maybe we don't like sadness. For me, anger is the most, the most difficult one for me to engage with. I don't like it when patients are angry. <laughs> right? Most of us don't, but you can imagine it's harder to ask them about their anger, especially if it might be directed towards you. Right? I had a patient who told me um, that they were very frustrated with the medical system that I was working at, am working at, and um, they said, yeah, this place just wants to make a, make a bunch of money, and you know what, you don't really care about if I get better or not. And last time you gave me those exercises, they just really, they just really hurt. And you know, I just don't, I just not, I just don't think this is working. This patient was clearly frustrated, clearly angry. This, remember I was talking about the rude patients in the beginning. Reflection is how you deal with your rude patients and how you open up opportunities to share hope and to be a witness. Reflecting feeling. 
So instead of saying, um, actually, no, that's, that's not true. We don't actually just try to get money. No, I'm actually, I wasn't trying to hurt you. No, and, and get defensive. I just simply reflect back to them what they must be feeling. So powerful. Say, oh, I see. It sounds like you're really frustrated with the, the system that you're in. You must even feel like, because this system has thrown you around a little bit, that I don't even care for you, that no one really cares what happens to you. That must feel like really un invalidating to you. And the patient's demeanor, it, it was, what, that wasn't an exact quote, but it was very similar. The patient's demeanor completely changed. And she's like, yeah, that's exactly right. And in that moment, when you diffuse that situation, you can now redirect the conversation. So reflecting feeling. I'm going to give you one more story, actually, reflecting feeling. It just came to my mind. Yesterday, I had a patient. And um, I was getting the patient from the waiting room. It's the first time I'd ever met this patient. I was filling in for another one of my colleagues. And the patient um, was in the waiting room. I went up to the patient. And I said, um, hey, how are you? And he said, oh, not good. I said, oh, I'm sorry. Well, why don't we go back and to the treatment room? And so the patient's coming back. And I said, so you said you weren't feeling well. Tell me more about what's going on. I'm focusing and following, right? Purposely, because I'm saying, oh, there's an opportunity here. And then the patient went on to explain that he just received bad news from neurosurgery, that the surgery he was hoping to help with his problem wasn't going to help at all. And he said, so yeah, so uh, guess that's it. What do you say? <laughs> right? By the way, talking about understanding what patients are saying and reflecting, what do you think that, if you could use one word to describe what that patient is maybe feeling, what would you say? Hopelessness, right? We all know it. So guess what? Reflect it back. Tell them that you understand. So that's exactly what I said. I said, wow. So you were hoping that this surgery would actually resolve some of the problems that you were having. And in fact, you just found out that it's not going to help with that. And so now you must not know where to go. That must make you feel really hopeless. Boom. Everything, it was just this moment of like, yeah, that's exactly right. And then guess what? I asked a closed-ended question. Or no, it was open-ended question. I wanted to guide the patient. So I said, so what do you turn to in times like these? And the patient happened to say, well, I, I turned to God. And I was like, would you mind if I prayed for your situation right now? So I'm sharing this story because these skills almost always lead me to this. This is why I'm sharing these nuts and bolts with you, not just so that you learn some basic interviewing skills, but because when you actually take the time to reflect what the patients are saying, to enter empathetically into their experience, you have nothing but a plethora of opportunities to share with your patients. So we kind of already talked about this. I gave you guys some, some statements. These are just examples. So remember, not picking up on emotional distress can sever, rep sever rapport from your patient or prevent it altogether. And when I say rapport, I mean these are connection opportunities that we can use to share the gospel with people. Reflecting with interpretation. This is the skill where you um, then apply assumptions. 
to confirm. So the same thing. You're feeling hopeless because you must feel this way. This is taking what they said and applying even more meaning to what your understanding is. If we do not internalize what the patient is saying and make meaning of it ourselves, we're not going to be able to be as effective in what and when we share. Because it's in those moments that we will find the deepest need to share the gospel with patients. Informing, this is a very, I, I'm, I'm not going to go into a whole lot on informing because informing there's so much content. Um, but I just want to give you guys a few principles when you're informing your patient. Be organized when you give your information to patients. Be positive, right? What's the silver lining on the, on the things that you're, you're delivering? Remember, this is all tact. Reassurance. Provide reassurance when it's appropriate to your patients. Be concise. And then relevant. Relevant is a huge one. How do you be relevant? If you understand the patient's story because you've been reflecting and following and asking the right questions, you can now speak directly to what they need. You can be relevant. And of course, be confident. Be confident in what you know. This is a big one. How many of you guys educate your patients with stories or metaphors? Good. I'm telling you, stories and metaphors or a parable. Use a parable, right? Jesus taught in stories. We know this. So use metaphors or stories to help your patients understand their problem. And lastly, make sure you're doing these things. Check in with the patient. See how things are going. Try and match your expectations with the patient with what they're going to receive. Oops. Ask permission before you do things. Collaborate and avoid premature solutions. So by, by the way, premature solutions is the writing reflex. So avoid that. All right. So what, what's the point? What, what, I want you, what do I want you guys to take away from this? So the first point is this. When a patient feels known and understood is also when trust and confidence are established. Have you ever had that friend who just, you're just like, yeah, that person just, they just get me. They know me, right? And you, you inevitably will have confidence and trust in what they say and what they do. Because you know that they know that your best interest. So how to develop confidence and trust? Help the patients feel known and understood and try to understand and know what they're going through. It's at the depth of our patients' deepest needs where the gospel is most effective to be shared. These skills will help you identify those deepest needs. And then lastly, we need to be intentional and sympathetically seek out our, the story that our patients are going through so that we can deliver the right treatment and the right encouragement at the right time. Timing is important. The type of encouragement is important. So how many of you have listened to this and been like, yep, I don't really know if I have time to uh, ask patient about their emotions because we all know where that could go. And it's going to take up five to ten minutes of my time. <laughs> it's okay, right? That's, that's, that's realistic. We have to evaluate those things, right? So this is an interesting stat for you. 
that I wanna, I wanna leave you guys with here. Physicians who are sensitive to and explore patients' emotional concerns take a, a mean of one minute longer to complete visits. It is still day now. We still have opportunity to share with our patients. I share this content with you and I hope it was helpful because th this content is exactly, um, I, I have found it personally so powerful to being a medical evangelist in a way, right? And so I hope that you guys will take the extra minute to really delve deep into your patient's needs and desires and emotions and thoughts. Remember, the study of the mind is the greatest work in which we've ever engaged. And that's because it's in the mind and understanding people is where we can deliver the gospel most effectively. So take the extra minute. Thank you. Actually, you know what? Let's, should I... Do you want me to cl close up with a word of prayer? Is that okay? Yeah. I know dinner's, dinner's coming. So, all right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you again for um, sustaining the technology during this um, presentation. Lord, I just ask that uh, anything that was shared today, Lord, that you will um, interpret it. If it was shared incorrectly, Lord, that you would use it for your glory. Lord, that we might connect with people, Lord, as you did entering into sympathy, Lord, and having tact that we might be able to deliver um, the great news of your soon return. Lord, I ask that you would uh, put your Holy Spirit within us as we go from here and through the rest of this conference. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.